Well, hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. Um, welcome to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're joining us on this Sunday morning, and I'm especially glad to see some faces I haven't seen in a while and some that I, haven't, I don't think I've ever seen. So if you're a guest, welcome. So glad you're here at Chatham Community Church. What we're all about is connecting people to God and to each other so that together we can engage our world for good. I hope you've experienced some of that already this morning, and I hope you experience more as the morning goes on. Uh, if you are a guest, I'd love to say hi to you. So at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back under the blinking exit sign. Uh, that's just a malfunction. I don't know why it keeps doing that, but I do know that every year when the fire marshal comes and inspects, he dings us because the batteries have run out by that point or whatever powers that, or the light bulbs have run out, but we get dinged every year. Anyway, so I'll be there, come say hi, and if you haven't grabbed a welcome gift, you can make sure to grab one of those. Uh, I want you to consider a question for a moment, and I want you to think, what are the best pieces of advice that you've received over the years? Take a moment right there, and think about the best pieces of advice you've received over the years. Don't conjure up ones you haven't thought of in like years. Think of the ones that you've hung on to, the ones that have stuck, the ones that you've applied in your life. What are the best pieces of advice that you've received over the years? I recently posed this question on social media and the response impressed me. Folks from all around the world spanning multiple generations chimed in and contributed lots of things. They contributed things ranging from the profound to the very practical to even the silly and humorous. All of them had something in common. They were all memorable. I learned a good, a good bit about the people in my network over the last few days. A former colleague, in addition to sharing his own great piece of advice that he received, commented that in reading the post and reading the responses, he had felt so encouraged. He found the, the post so encouraging. And I felt the same way. Because most of the advice, most of it, was intended to help uh, the people who had shared it, to help them live better lives. The kinds of lives that led them to be healthier on all fronts and led them to contribute to the good of the people around them, led them to contribute to the well-being of those around them. See, there is a particular type of great advice that seems to point us in the right direction. It seems to point us in the direction of the kinds of lives where we flourish, where we flourish and we contribute to life and well-being and good to those around us, to our community, and to our world. So let me ask you again, what are some of the greatest pieces of advice that you've received over the years, and how have they shaped you? How have they helped you become the person that you are today? Over the next few weeks, I want to share with you some of the best pieces of advice I've received over the years as I've tried to follow Jesus. Th these pieces of advice come from all sorts of people. Uh, I even received some of them in different languages the first time that I heard them, right? Some of them come with me from Puerto Rico, where I was born and raised. Uh, and they range all the way from the very, 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 very big picture type of advice to the very specific situational advice. And these words have helped me and others like me who have received these pieces of advice live lives of spiritual vitality. They've pointed us 
in the right direction. They've contributed to our well-being, and as we've applied them, they've contributed to the well-being of those around us. These pieces of advice have kept me sharp over the years. They're the kind of words that help us hone in to the lives that we were made to live, the lives that we experience what we were made for and contribute to the good and blessing of those around us. They help us fulfill that which we were made for. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start today. The first piece of advice is going to come from Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it because we're going to project it onto the screen. But if you happen to have access to a Bible, whether in hard copy or on a device, we're going to be towards the end of that chapter. We're going to start in verse 25. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew is one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. They start the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25, which will be on the screen in just a second. And here we go. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, this, for this, this teaching is happening in the context of what has come to be known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gathered groups of people who were following him, and he's begun to teach them. He's, he's gone on a lengthy discourse. He's been going through what he is about He's going through a teaching that would have been challenging to conventional norms, challenging to current religious teaching. It might have even been controversial, but it captures the essence, the essence of who he is, the essence of what he's about, and the essence of what he's inviting people into. He's been laying out the ethic of what it's going to mean, in fact, what it was always meant to mean, to be the people of God to be the people that follow him, to be the people whose lives are transformed as they follow him. And one of the areas that he speaks on in this Sermon on the Mount are those things that we concern ourselves with, those things that motivate us, those things that influence how we behave and shape who we are becoming. And in the passage leading into this one, he's been focusing on those things that concern us that are future-oriented, the things that motivate us and that influence us and that drive us that are all about something that is coming in the future, something that we long for for the future. And he gives the example of money. 
of money. And he says people, people concern themselves with the accumulation of resources. And in his particular instance, it's, it's money. But behind the accumulation of resources, behind the accumulation of money could also be, well, money provides, can provide status. And money can provide security. And we want to be secure in our future. And we want to maybe have status in our future, have prestige, right? There are other things that we concern, we can, that can concern us about that are future-oriented. We can be concerned about our legacy. We can be concerned about our health. What is your primary concern about the future? What is the thing that concerns you most about what, is, what lies ahead? Is it having enough? Making sure you have enough to retire. Is it making sure you keep your body in shape or make sure you go through the regular checkups just to keep an eye on those things that you're maybe more prone or susceptible to? Are you ultimately concerned about the legacy you will leave behind and what people will say about you in the future, the kind of achievements you will have? The thing about the things that concern us about the future is that they are not left in the future. They actually influence our present they influence how we behave, how we act, and what we direct our lives to. I knew some people who, around the 2008 recession, got some disturbing news from their financial advisor. Their retirement accounts were depleting rapidly. They were losing value, and they only had a few more years of work until they needed to depend on these accounts. And, and they panicked. And they panicked and they made some financial decisions to secure the money they had at that moment. But they missed the opportunity to catch the bounce back. Their concern about having enough for the future influenced a decision they made in the present. It caused them to panic, to not listen to the advice of their financial advisor, to not wait. And it's left them in a spot where they are less certain than they would have been had they waited. So as you think about the things that are concerning you about the future, I wonder how they are influencing your present. How are the things that concern you about your future, whether it's whether you're going to get into a particular college if you're a student, or the career you are going to have, or the person you are going to marry, may or may not marry, or whether your kids will end up being A or B, how are those things influencing your present behavior? How are they shaping what you do? Now, in the passage we read, Jesus has moved on from future concerns to present concerns. He's focusing on the things that are connected to our day-to-day -day survival, our day-to-day -day getting by, right? In their context, it was food, it was drink, it was what they could cover themselves with, which was important because you live in a desert culture and being able to have clothes is incredibly important as the sun is beating, you, is beating down on you during the day. There are things that concern us about the future, but there are also things that concern us in the day-to-day. -day. And whether we can get to work on time and beat the traffic <laughs> or the type of decision we make now about what we spend our time on, whether we study or we play a little bit more Fortnite. There are things that concern us in our day-to-day. -day. So as you think about your day-to-day, what would you say is your main day-to-day -day concern? What is the thing that occupies your best and your most? What is the thing that gets 
a lot of your energy, a lot of your focus, a lot of your attention. I know for some of us, it is the minivan. Making sure the minivan is in good shape because the minivan is the thing that allows us to get to rehearsal and to practice and to school and to the meet and to this and that and this and that. And it's all about, is the minivan doing okay? How are the primary concerns then, the things that are concerning you about the day-to-day shaping you? Because that's the thing. The thing that we concern ourselves in the day-to-day start to form who we are. We do things often enough, we start to become something. How are the things you are focused on in the day-to-day shaping you? I was reading an article a few years ago. And it was this man who was wildly successful in his life. And he said that early on, he focused his day-to-day behavior on whatever would lead him to get to the next rung, the next professional rung. And every day, he was just focused on what it would take to climb higher and climb higher and climb higher. And he achieved worldwide renown, lots of money, lots of success, highly respected. And he's reflecting back on this years later. And he says, the primary thing I was concerned about was getting to the next rung, right? I was an ambitious person. I concentrated on my ambition. And here's what he says. My ambition took me a long way. But when I got there, I wondered who I was. We can be so focused on the things that concern ourselves in our day-to-day, getting that thing done, making sure we achieve this, making sure we obtain this, making sure we secure this, making sure we pass the next test, making sure we, we finish the next task, making sure we do this and that and this and that, that we don't attend to how those things are shaping us and who we are becoming by repeating them and focusing on them. It would be sad to arrive at a destination years from now and wonder who we became and wonder if there was anything we could do about it. As you consider those things, the future-oriented and the present-oriented things, are they aligned? Are the present-day things helping you for the future? And are they capable? Here's the more important question. Are these things capable of delivering a good and satisfying life. Not just a good and satisfying life in the future. Because I've heard people who say, well, I'm doing this now so I can enjoy something in the future. But we weren't made for just that, folks. We were made also to thrive in the present. So are the things that you're concerning yourself with contributing both to a future that is good and to a present where you're thriving? Jesus' argument in this passage and the passage before is that the one, at least the ones he's naming can't. They can't deliver. Now, it's not that they need to be ignored or discarded. He's not saying, you know, don't care at all or don't, don't spend any time focusing on, ha- on making sure you have resources or making sure you have stuff to wear or stuff to eat. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that they were never intended to be central. They were never intended to be the primary concerns. They were never intended to be the driving force behind someone's life. As he names them, he says, life is so much more than just these things. So he offers an alternative. He offers an alternative that is both future-oriented and present for the day-to-day. He says, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I want to distill this into our advice for today, the word of advice that I receive, the word that will help us hone who we are, and that is make your pursuit of Jesus the center, the driving force of your life. This is one of the best pieces of advice I've received, and it's the one I'm passing on to you today. Here's why. Because Jesus is capable of delivering now and delivering in the future. He is capable of delivering a life in which we can thrive now and a future in which we are secure, in which we are, in which we are doing well. Following Jesus, seeking his kingdom, brings with it all that we might ever need, all that we might ever concern ourselves with. Everything else falls into place at its right time. See, one of, the, one of the deficits of having other things at the center, other things as the primary pursuit, as the main driver of our lives, is that there is always uncertainty into how much we need to do to have enough or how much is going to be enough to secure that which we long for. How much is enough money? The folks I knew found out very quickly that how much was enough changed from day to day and was subject to stocks and other things. How many extracurriculars are going to secure your entry into that dream college? I can tell you for a fact what was true in my day is definitely not true now or doesn't seem to be. How much political clout is enough to get done the things that we want to? How much, how much, how much? There are so many external factors that can affect these things, that can change them, that can move the bar, that if we focus on them as the central thing, we will always be left in uncertainty. There was one person at one time who was asked about money. He's a rich person. And this is, um, this is uh, apocryphal, right? Uh, it's attributed to this person. They said, um, how much money is enough? He's a multimillionaire. And he said, just a little more. That's the thing. There's never satisfaction. There is never enough. And having Jesus at the center, one of the gifts that it gives us is that it frees us from constantly chasing the ever-elusive enough. If you're chasing that enough, let me share wisdom that has been shared with me and that people who are wise have learned through the ages. You will never catch it. It will always be one step ahead. One step ahead. And it's exhausting to chase it. The fruit of the chase, the fruit of the chase of the ever elusive enough, Jesus names it in the passage, is worry. Is worry. Are we doing the right thing? Are we focusing on the right thing? Did we do enough today? Is it going to be secure tomorrow? How are things going to change? When I was in when I, was, uh, when I was working with students uh, as a campus minister, worry was one of the main things that affected students as they, as they came to college having built up a life uh, where they had set themselves up for a career that they uh, thought that they wanted or had been told is the one they had to pursue. And then they got to college and they experienced all the challenges, all the setbacks, but also all the letdown from success that had been promised was going to deliver something that they were missing. Or when they got to college and realized, oh, that career does not seem like what I want. What do I do now? 
What am I going to do with this future? What am I going to do with all this college debt? They were steeped in worry. And I see it in our kids now. I see it in parents now as we worry about the future for our kids. And we have normalized worry. We have just accepted it as a part of life. And I want to question that. I want to question why we have accepted worry as the norm. Why we have have accepted anxiousness as just a part of life. It was never intended to be that way. Don't believe the lie that you should just accept it. There is more. Life, as Jesus says, is so much more. His offer, his offer, his invitation to seek him is not about him aggrandizing himself. It's not about him making himself somehow more important or putting the spotlight on himself. His offer to seek him and to seek his kingdom and his righteousness is actually about bringing our freedom to us, bringing about our freedom. Because when we put Jesus at the center, then we are able to attend to all the other things at the right time, in the right moments, for the right motives. See, centering Jesus enables us to be deliberate and intentional with our lives because we have pointed them towards something grander in Jesus and his kingdom. And Jesus delivers, and Jesus doesn't disappoint. And when we have that guarantee that we are pointing our lives, that we are centering it based on someone who delivers and who doesn't disappoint, then we are free from worry, and we are able to give our attention, our time, our energy to other things at the right times and for the right ways. Part of why this works is because having Jesus having Jesus as the center, having Jesus as the driving force means that we are brought into harmony with the one who made us and knows us. God has fashioned us. God has breathed life into us. God knows what we have been put on this earth for, how to act, how to be, how to engage, how to love one another. And when we have God and Jesus at the center as the driving force in our lives, it's like we are playing in the same chord with the melody that we were made to be part of. And things flow. And things flow because God knows which, which note we need to play next and which one comes after that. And we are never then discordant or out of sync or out of tempo. Uh, uh, music people, please correct me later for any mistakes I have made. <laughs> Jesus points at this. Jesus, or one of the things Jesus, uh, or uh, sorry, um, we are brought into harmony with, sorry, we are brought into harmony with the one who made us and knows us. It's a gift then that we are able to attend to the things that we need and long for at the right time, in the right place, at the right moment. And Jesus promises that when he says, your heavenly father knows what you need. Knows what you need and will deliver it at the right time. Another reason why having Jesus at the center makes life work is that it affirms the intrinsic value we've been granted by the one that loves us. Many of us live lives chasing something to validate us, to affirm our value, to affirm our worth, to drive our sense of purpose from something else. 
But Jesus says, God has made you. You are valuable to him. You are more valuable than the things he already provides for. He already cares for. And when we center, our, when we center him in our lives, it's like that sense of value is affirmed. It is cemented. It is secure. So we don't have to chase it. We are free from trying to earn it. Take a moment and think of all the things you've tried to earn in your life. How many of them have contributed to your self-esteem, to your self-confidence, to your sense of worth, to your sense of value, to your sense of being important? How many times have you chased after those things and felt disappointed or felt it didn't deliver or felt it wasn't enough? There are times when it does. But how have you felt when, when, the, when, the, when the rug has been taken out from under you? In Jesus, our value is secure. I've said this before, but I'll say it again today. The issue of our value was established when God fashioned us. And it was settled at the cross. We are valuable in God's eyes, and we never have to wonder. We never have to chase it. We never have to earn it. Now, if, centering, if having Jesus at the center is the thing that makes life work, if it's the thing that focuses us in the right direction, how do we go about doing this? How do we go about putting Jesus at the center or keeping Jesus at the center? Well, at least in the way that Jesus lays out this chapter, it's by longing for and pursuing him. By longing for and pursuing him. He says earlier in this chapter, and maybe some of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, he says, you pray thy kingdom come. And then in this passage, he says, seek the kingdom. So there is a two-pronged approach. There is a longing for and praying for, and there is an active pursuit of God's kingdom. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you keep saying kingdom and Jesus. Are they interchangeable? And here's what I want to say. I think the word kingdom is troublesome or cumbersome because we don't live in a world where kingdoms are tangible right now. We don't live in a world where kingdom is a concrete image for us. But the person of Jesus is a little bit more concrete. And here's the thing. In this kingdom, Jesus is king. And if you seek the king, you'll find the kingdom. If you seek the king, you'll find the kingdom. So the first thing is to pray for the kingdom. To pray for more of Jesus. If you want to have Jesus at the center of your life, pray for more of him. Pray for more. Pray for more of Jesus in your life. Pray for a greater awareness of who he is, of how he loves, of what he's inviting you to. Pray for more. Pray for more and other things will come. Pray for more and other things will come. Now I know, pray for more and good will come in your life. Now I know that there are times where prayer seems like a cop-out where prayer seems like an easy answer, like an answer that doesn't involve as much. Prayer seems to be a way to just ignore the reality, right? The real needs. If I tell someone um, who is going hungry or who needs food, right, we have to feed them as well. We have to provide for them. But if I'm talking to someone as well who is concerned about the day-to-day and I, just and I tell them pray, I'm not telling them to be ignorant of the things they need to do to meet their own needs, what I'm telling them is to focus on Jesus. Because when we focus on Jesus, we get the gift of holy stewardship, 
of our time, energy, and attention. When you have Jesus at the center, then part of the thing that happens when you get more of Jesus is you get a sense of what needs to get your best, what needs to get your next, and what needs to get the thing, what needs to get further from you in terms of time, energy, and attention. But paired to prayer, paired to prayer is pursuit. Prayer to prayer is pursuit. We don't just pray for the kingdom or pray for more of Jesus. We seek the kingdom and we seek more of Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that in our day to day? Well, when I became a follower of Jesus, these things were popular, these bracelets. Truth be told, I consider them tacky now, but I wore them. Here's what this did to me. By the way, for those that don't know, WWJD means what would Jesus do? And when I wore them or when I had them, part of what they said is ask that at every turn. Ask that in every decision. And here's what that created in me. It actually helped cement this idea of putting Jesus at the center. It created in me this sense that Jesus mattered in every situation. That Jesus had something to say about every situation, every choice, big and small. And part of what this did, asking that, and I don't wear these things and I don't consciously think of this uh, as much, but part of what this did, it created a sense that at every checkpoint or every moment, consider what it meant to follow Jesus in this situation. Asking what would Jesus do helped me keep Jesus at the center of my life because it made it normal for me to think that Jesus cared, that Jesus had something to say, that Jesus had something to contribute to every area of life. of my life. That's the difference that it makes to have Jesus at the center, to the driving pursuit of my life. So I wonder if maybe some of us need to ask that question every once in a while, because we've not considered that Jesus has something to say, that Jesus has something to contribute to every area of our lives. Okay, I've been really theoretical, so I want to tell a story of what it looks like when someone has placed Jesus at the center of their lives, the difference that it's made for them. There's a friend that I have, and she's at a professional crossroads in her life. She's at a point where the career track she's been on is either going to come to an end or it's going to move forward. And that decision is out of her hands. She has no control over it. Now, this person has been prone to anxiousness all their lives. And I've had conversations with them about their job where she's mentioned, I'm so anxious about what this, what this is going to be. I, I'm fretting over it. I'm losing sleep over it. But over the last few years, she's been focusing on praying for Jesus and praying for uh, his kingdom. She's been focusing on seeking Jesus and seeking his kingdom. And over the years, her conversation has decreased in the level of anxiety and has started to say, You know what? My whole life, God has provided for me. Whenever I've had a crisis professionally, God has provided either uh, some way to advance or some way to move on. I have never been without. So it's hard for me, but I've made the decision that I'm just going to trust that that's going to be the case this time around. I trust that the God who's loved me in the past is loving me now. And whether it's here or somewhere else, God's going to continue to provide for me. The change, the difference, was that Jesus is at the center. Now, here's the thing. There are very real concerns. How is she going to help provide for her family if she loses this job? Concretely, she doesn't know. What, like, is there any other politicking she can do to secure this job? Maybe, but she doesn't know. Could she have done something different in the past? 
to secure this job. It doesn't matter. These are all things that she could lose sleep over. They're all things that some of us have lost sleep over. But, but, her pursuit of Jesus, her having him at the center, has given her peace and one of the most critical turning points in her life. Has freed her not to not care. She's not indifferent about what's going to happen. But she's aware and she's choosing to believe that having Jesus at the center means that everything else is going to fall into place at the right time and in the right way. Friends, that could be the gift for all of us. Whether it's in how our kids are going to turn out or what college we're going to go to or whether we're going to be ready for retirement or whether we're going to find or not find that special someone or, whether, or what the medical results are going to be or whether we're going to get through this one or not or whether we'll have enough to eat tomorrow. So today my invitation is simple. Make Jesus the center of your life. Make him the driving force of your life. Live the kind of life you were made for. And for some of us, it's going to look like being sharpened uh, like a blade like this. We need a new edge. We've never made Jesus the center of our lives. And if that's the case for you, if Jesus has always been at the periphery, you've got a better life ahead of you if you put Jesus at the center. Let him give you a new life. Let him give you a new life. But for some of us, we've done this before. We've just kind of strayed over the years. We don't need a honing rod. We don't need a honing stone. We need a honing uh, rod, like that one. Do you all know the difference between that stone or that, that rolling stone and this rod? The honing stone creates a new edge. It takes away all that's there and makes a new edge. The steel rod like that, it just restores the edge that was there. Some of us know we've had Jesus at the center. But it seems like over the years he's kind of shifted to the right or shifted to the top or shifted to the left or shifted to the bottom. And all we need is a tweak or tune-up. Maybe something else has begun to occupy your space and your time. If that's the case, today is an opportunity to remake or make for the first time Jesus the center and making your pursuit of him the center, the driving force of your life. Let him either give you a new edge or restore the one that was already there. Would you pray with me? Jesus, today, would you meet us? Would you call us? Would you remind us of where we need you to be the center? Lord, where we're worried or anxious, would you give us the gift of peace? And would we follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.